of one night in Bethlehem. Uh, last night we sweat, and then tonight we will freeze, but that's okay. So uh, plan on coming out and bundling up and being a part of that. Uh, we always we need as many volunteers as we had last night. So um, please, if you have a chance to come out and, and be a part of that, that please. Please make plans to. Um, a few other announcements as we get started. This uh, Wednesday, we have several different things going on. Um, at Flat Rock, there will be a, a candlelight service at Flat Rock Campground at 6, at 6 o'clock this Wednesday. Also this Wednesday, we'll have our Glenlock kids and our Glenlock students Christmas parties uh, during, our normal, um, during our normal service times. And so make plans to be a part of one of those services uh, this Wednesday night. Um, in December, after this, after this Wednesday, we'll take the next few Wednesdays off for Christmas through the new year. Um, so just be aware of that for your schedule, and uh, just know that um, this Wednesday night will be our last normal Wednesday night um, until after the new year. One service I want everyone to be aware of is the Christmas Eve service. That's on a Sunday night this year, December 24th. And uh, it's one of my favorite services of the year. Uh, that's at 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve, so make plans to join us if you have nowhere else to be um, on Christmas Eve. And lastly, I want to let you know that our shirts for our fundraiser are in. So after the service is over, if you ordered a shirt, um, if you haven't paid for that, or if you've already paid for it and you just want to pick it up, we're going to be in the Millard Idson classroom. Um, just come in there, and we'll get you your shirt and get you checked off. Thank you, everyone, who... Um, who gave towards that. We were able to take a significant amount off of the, um, of the total for each person going um, on our, uh, to our cross-conference because of that T-shirt um, uh, fundraiser. So we're very thankful um, for you all and your generosity that you show us all the time, but especially during this time of the year. Um, do remember, if you have an angel tree, um, those are due next Sunday morning, and so please be aware of that. Uh, we would love to get those back in time for... Um, to get those out before Christmas, obviously. So please make plans to bring those back by next Sunday morning. But as we begin, I'm going to ask Jeff Rude if he'll come forward, and he's going to read our call to worship. Good morning. So Advent this week is peace, so I kind of more or less beat my head against the wall trying to figure out uh, what, what verses to use. I know Jesus talked a lot about peace, so I got to thinking about it. Uh, our peace has to be anchored in something. Now, if we anchor that peace in the world, we're going to be disappointed, and we don't have enough inside of us to anchor that peace within ourselves. So my mind kept going back to Psalms 23, uh, and so I spoke to Neil uh, about using it. So I'm gonna just kind of briefly go over Psalms 23. I think it's one of the most famous Psalms that, that David, David wrote in there. To me, Psalms 23 speaks about life, rest, and peace. Uh, Jerry mentioned a couple weeks ago that God, Jesus is going to separate the goats from the sheep, and we're all sheep. Well, a lot of people think that sheep are stupid. Well, for a while I thought about that till till I got to think about that. I don't think sheep are stupid. Uh, I think they're very dependent, 
And I think that's what Jesus was referring to, that we're sheep and we, we have to depend on him. So Psalms 23 starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And there you go. You know, if you have everything you need, there's, there's no reason not to have peace within your soul. Next verse is he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I understand that pretty much you have to make, make a situation for sheep to want to lay down. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I, I've got this. You know, have you ever laid awake at night, tossed and turning? I have. But it's Jesus saying, I've, I've got all this in control, and you, you can rest. Uh, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And this is another good one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You rod, your staff, they comfort me. Well, this is once again, Jesus has given us peace. No matter what the world throws at you, as long as we have Jesus in our corner, then we should be at peace. Don't worry about what the world's doing to you. Don't worry about that. Jesus says, uh, Luke 12, I believe, he calls us little flock. Do not be afraid, little flock. So he's referenced us. He's referencing us as, as sheep again. Uh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And those are important tools for a shepherd. You know, the rod is to, is to protect his sheep. And also the rod's used, you know, to kind of keep us in line. The staff he uses to guide the sheep. And then once again, he uses that hook on, on the on the staff to reel us back in. So as long as we stay, let Jesus be our shepherd, then we have no choice but to, to have peace in our life. Uh, it goes on to say, thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I kind of thought about this when I used to work as part of management. We were always going in meetings. And if you've ever been in one of those meetings, it's kind of, sometimes it could be a cutthroat meeting but I always prayed for went in. So if you're in a meeting with people, enemies, so to speak, be at peace. You got Jesus behind you. You know, nobody's going to mess with you as long as you rely <coughs> on the shepherd. Excuse me. Uh, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflowed. Well, I got to thinking about every king was anointed with oil, signifying that that. This is God. This is Jesus' chosen perfect person. So uh, that's kind of how I tied those two, two together. And I had a little trouble with this, and I spoke to Neil yesterday. It says, goodness, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I had a little trouble with that word surely, but Neil kind of clarified that for me, that saying, I think what they mean is he's saying truly. So if we allow Jesus to be our shepherd, not only going to have peace, uh, but goodness and mercy is going to follow, follow right behind. And then the, he ends up with, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. My father's house has many mansions. So Jesus is our shepherd. We have to live in peace. You know, rely on God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to give us that peace. We've got a mansion in heaven. All bills are paid. You might even get free cable. Uh, so I, th I think about 
all, all the people in the past who have, who have passed away, they're in, they're in heaven. They're at total peace. So that's my take on it. I think that, I think that Psalms 23 pretty well spells out that we're supposed to be in peace in all situations. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are, and I thank you that one of the names of your son Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This week is Advent, so if there's anyone out there that doesn't have peace in their life or peace in their heart, I just ask that you touch those people, Lord, and be with us. I thank you for a wonderful night last night in Bethlehem, and I know that somebody that went through Bethlehem last night had to hear that message, and we just hope that everyone there that participated in Bethlehem planted a seed, and it, it, it grows, Lord. We ask you to clear the weather out today so once again we can spread, and that's the way we spread the gospel, is by, by Bethlehem. So we pray that the weather clears up and we have another good night. Ask you to speak through Neil today, speak through Catherine as she delivers the music, Lord. And just, just be with us this week, Lord, and just give us, give us peace and help us remember that you are the shepherd, you are the good shepherd. And you laid down your life for your sheep. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worship this morning. And we're going to sing Away in a Manger. This last verse is kind of one we need to sing throughout the year, isn't it? Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. This next song we're going to sing is a familiar tune with some different words, but it comes straight from Matthew 1, which we kind of dove into last week. So let's sing, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him.
may be seated, and Stephanie is going to sing a special for us this morning.
you'll stand, we're going to sing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus together. forward at this time for the Advent wreath.
All right, as the children leave, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 1. Week 2 of Advent, as you can already tell, our emphasis is on the peace that God uh, brings to us in the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, Mark chapter 1 is the beginning of Mark's gospel. So each week in Advent, we're going to look at the introduction or the very beginning of all four gospels. Last week, Matthew. This week, Mark. So, verses 1 through 18 in Mark's Gospel. Most of the pages are stopped, so... The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's whole theme is that Jesus is the Son of God. Then in verse 2, he begins quoting, guess what? Again, the book of Isaiah. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, quote, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locust and wild honey. And he was an interesting dude, to say the least. He was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to stoop down like a servant and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice, a voice came out of the heavens saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit impelled him, Jesus, to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John had been taken into custody... Uh, preaching the word of God and truth will get you locked up. And in John's case, got him beheaded. So after he was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. 
and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Simon Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Well, Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. Father, thank you so much for the beginning of the gospel. Thank you for the work you did in history through the life of John Mark, mainly through the apostle Peter, so that we could have recorded, Lord, another version of this wonderful, beautiful, powerful, saving story. Help us to take it to heart. Help us to understand it in a deeper in greater way, help us to apply it to our lives and help us to be bold enough to share it in word and in deed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hope you're listening during the children's sermon because there were several of us last week who were not. Let me give you some background. It's important that we understand the definition of certain words. So we're singing Thursday at the nursing home, and we are doing Christmas hymns and carols. And we're about to sing the first Noel to the residents there at Carrollton Manor. There were probably eight or ten of us. Most all of us had been here last Sunday morning. And last Sunday morning, Catherine defined for us the word Noel. So I just on a whim said, hey, does anybody know what the word Noel means? And not a single one of us, including me, could recall what Catherine had said on the previous Sunday. Nobody knew. I looked to my right. I looked to my left. Nothing. Total blank. Well, a guy who was a resident must have gotten frustrated with me and us. And so he just blurts out. He's sitting on the front row. He says, it doesn't matter what it means. Let's sing the song, okay? (laughs) And I said, okay. Uh, So I reviewed, I asked Catherine uh, what what it meant, and and it means to be born, to be born, right? I guess that's right. That's what she said. I still haven't Googled it. I should know better. So this morning what we're going to do, we're going to look at this word gospel, okay? We talk a lot about the gospel. What does that word mean? We talk about being gospel-centered. We talk about preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, living out the gospel. What is the gospel? So here's where Mark is. Mark, in verse 1, takes us to, look, the beginning of what? The gospel. It's good news. Christianity, at its core, is good news. A lot of people don't see it that way. But we already live daily amongst the effects of bad news. We have the joy and the privilege of announcing good news. Now, at at kind of the root, uh, the word gospel has a bit of 
eureka in it? Eureka. The Greek word is kind of akin to uh, our English word eureka, which means rejoice, I have found it. Now, when Caesar Augustus was born, a few years before this time, when he was born out into the Roman provinces went what was called the gospel, the good news of the birth of a new ruler and king. And so John Mark, the author of this gospel, who is in Rome with his friend Peter, is connecting to those Gentile Romans who know a lot about power and a lot about glory and a lot about man-centered strength. He is announcing the good news of the birth of the true king, the ruler who has been born. The other thing that's interesting among many things about Mark's gospel is that Mark apparently would skip one night in Bethlehem, at least the majority of it. Because there's no birth narrative in Mark. I mean, Mark is strictly meat and potatoes. I mean, he cuts right to the chase of not the birth and the sentimentality uh, around the coming of Christ, but he cuts right to the essential components of the gospel. Now, Matthew and Luke, we'll look at John last, they both have lengthy genealogies. They go into a lot of the details of the birth of Christ. But I imagine that John Mark says to himself, Hey, these Romans, they're not going to care at all about who somebody is or what their background is. They want to know, tell me what he's about and what he's going to accomplish. So the gospel writers, you have to understand, they are writing to specific audiences for different reasons. And that's why Mark's gospel just, man, he cuts to the chase. He gets to the point. This is the shortest of the four gospels. There are only 16 chapters. And Mark's gospel moves really quickly into the essential components of what the gospel is. So what I'd like to do this morning is walk through these 18 verses at the beginning of the good news. Let's start with the ABCs and let's pull from this what we see and what we think are Mark's essential components of the gospel. What do we discover in Mark chapter 1 about the good news? Let's look at number one. First we notice, we discovered that the gospel is a promise fulfilled. The gospel is a promise fulfilled. Mark's taking us to the beginning of the gospel, but this is the new beginning of the arrival of Christ. Actually, as we said last week, you go all the way back to Genesis 1-1 where the Bible begins in the beginning. What? God. Or who? God. So this is a new beginning. It's a new era. But it doesn't come from out of nowhere. It doesn't come from out of left field. It comes connected to everything that God had said before. And so you have in verse 2 these these three words. It is what? Written. It's written. So Mark 
immediately takes us back to Micah, the prophet. He takes us back to Isaiah, the prophet. And he is connecting the dots from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And after about 400 years of silence, Mark says, wait, this is all connected to everything that God has said before. It's connected to the promises. Now, why is that important? Uh, For one, it, it, it confirms the authority and the truthfulness and the reliability of the Bible. Of the Old Testament. Of everything that God had been saying. It shows us that God is faithful. God is long-suffering with his people. That God is sovereign and that God is in control. Mark is saying everything that was written in the Old Testament is leading up to Christ. And then the rest of the Bible says everything that comes from the New Testament flows from Christ. So Jesus is the center point of history. That little phrase, it is written, connects Jesus as the center point of human history, that everything is leading up to him and everything flows from him. He is telling us where to place the gospel of Jesus Christ, right there in the center, fulfilling everything that came before and everything that comes after flows from the gospel of the king. I kind of saw this as a as a roundabout. You know these roundabouts that are in Carroll County? I didn't grow up driving through roundabouts. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else struggles with driving through roundabouts. But it's like everything takes you into the roundabout and then everything flows from the roundabout. Jesus is the roundabout not only of the Bible and history, but ought to be of my life and your life. He's the hub. And with Christ at the center, like a bicycle, tire, and wheel, all the spokes, all the aspects of my life and your life relate correctly to each other if they're connected to Christ. Connected to Christ at the center, everything finds its proper place. Having peace with God, as Bryson was saying, now we can have peace with others. And with our circumstances. And with day-to-day living. All of these are the essential elements of the gospel of God. The gospel of peace. Mark tells us that he is connecting everything about Jesus to everything that came before. All right, number two. Not only do we have here a promise fulfilled, but we are introduced to a prophet, John the Baptist, who is fulfilling, or actually foretelling. Why so much emphasis on John the Baptist? One commentator says that he is the last prophet in God's case against Israel. They have been stubborn. They have been sinful. God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And now comes one, John the Baptist, who out of a long line of prophets is the last chance. He's the last word leading up to the Messiah who is Christ. He is an Elijah type figure. And there's a lot that could be said about John the Baptist. 
But man, he comes into human history and into the gospel story right there at the beginning because he is to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's in the wilderness. He's dressed like a wild man. But if you study Elijah, Elijah dressed this way. All the prophets were separate from the world. You would never find a man like John the Baptist on the cover of Time magazine at the end of the year as person of the year because he was not popular. He was not interested in man-centered comfort or materialism or the things of the world. There's a lot that we could say about John the Baptist, but maybe Alistair Begg puts it best. He's my favorite preacher, so I rely on him pretty regularly. But John the Baptist could be summed up like this. And the connection is that every good teacher could be summed up like this. Is that he clears the way, he tells the way, and then he gets out of the way. He is foretelling that one is coming right after him who has all authority, who is more powerful, who is the one true king, and John the Baptist is holy, he's humble, he's bold, he's happy, he's joyful to just have his role of clearing the way in the hearts and lives of the people to prepare to see and believe and trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now I have a lot of analogies that tell us a little bit about what John the Baptist's role was. I'm only going to use about eight of them. I'm just joking. You ever see these little cars that come before like a double-wide trailer when they haul those double-wide trailers down the road? And if you see a little car or truck that has on the front of it, wide load, <laughs> all right? What do you know is coming next? Man, something big. Something I need to adjust for. Something major. It's giving you a heads up. It's giving you a warning to clear the way because something major is about to happen. That's, that's John the Baptist. Or if you're a football fan, man, John the Baptist is the lead blocker. He goes into the hole and he pushes stuff out of the way so that the guy with the football can come right through and go further down the field. He's like an alarm clock waking you up every day. Hey, here he is. Here's the announcement. Let's make the way. He's like a bulldozer. Comes here and clears out the pride and the self-sufficiency and the self-reliance. And he is foretelling and forewarning that this is it. Get rid of every barrier in your life, the blindness, the hardness, the selfishness that would prevent you from looking to and receiving and rejoicing in the Son of God who's come. Luke chapter 1 next week will say even more about John the Baptist. One of the things John the Baptist says, though, that I thought was pretty interesting was that John the Baptist knew, he knew when his time was done. 
And so as he foretells the coming of the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and the fire, uh, when he says, I baptized, the way he says that, he is saying, I'm done. My time is over. My ministry is closing. He knew his place. He knew when to hold them. He knew when to fold them. And he knew when to walk away. And he knew when to run. He was done. All right? You know, as we looked through those genealogies last week, and people come and people go, I've seen my name in a list like that. Uh, I've seen a list of pastors at a church, and then I've seen my name on that list. Long list of guys who were here and gone, and some of us may not even know who they were. We may not remember their names. But they had a role. The role was to preach and point to Christ and then get out of the way. And it dawned on me when I left North Carolina after six years and came here, I said to myself, you know what, that that time was just here and and then it was gone. It was like I was on a short-term mission trip. And I've been on some short-term mission trips for a week, for maybe a few weeks, and then it's over and then you're done. I think it would be helpful if each of us would see our short lives here as short-term mission trips on mission for God for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. John had a role. John had a purpose. And he rejoiced to be the friend of the groom who was coming, who was mightier than he. But maybe we need to heed his message as John preached the message of Repentance and faith for forgiveness and looking to Christ that maybe you and I too need to model our ministries after that of John the Baptist as he uses the Word of God and the Spirit of God to point to the Son of God. The preparation that's needed, God did that through John the Baptist and he does that in my heart and in your heart. Number three, we also have here a picture of forgiveness. A picture of forgiveness. This is a a, a mini point about baptism along the way because John the Baptist did something that's unique and different and a little bit strange, water baptism. In fact, he did so many baptisms that they called him John the Baptizer. And that was his nickname. That's what he did. So what do we need to say about the gospel and this strange act of baptism that has been left by Christ with the church as one of our important ordinances. What does it mean? Well, John's was symbolic of a lot of things. But this is a picture ultimately of God's forgiveness that will come in Christ. And that's why in verse 4 you have this emphasis uh, when he says that he appeared and he was preaching. He was preaching a baptism of repentance, which is a change of heart. A change of direction within for the forgiveness of sin. Now, baptism doesn't save us, but it pictures the event that does save us, which is the work of Jesus Christ with his perfect life, his atoning death, and his resurrection on the third day. So John is baptizing all these people who are being drawn to this 
good news because they know that they're sinful. They know that something's wrong. They have this weight and this burden of guilt and heaviness and shame. And I've messed up. And now this guy, this, this so-called wild man out in the wilderness, is, he's baptizing people and, and he's telling them that, that this is the way to forgiveness. What does that mean? God in baptism pictures so much. But what John the Baptist was doing symbolically with water uh, became for people a tangible way to express that they were humbled by their sins in need of God's grace and it was a way that they could publicly declare and, 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 and confess their contrition over their sin. And for you and I, it is the same. But baptism pictures the greater reality of the baptism that Christ works in us and through us to forgive us for our sins, which is why oftentimes when we baptize people, we will say something like this. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you under the water, and I'm going to bring you back up. And that pictures the gospel. It pictures that Christ died for us, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. It's going to picture the fact that when you are immersed into God's grace offered by faith in Christ, that you're completely cleansed of all your sins, past, present, and future. That it's also going to symbolize the work of the Holy Spirit, which throughout the Scriptures, water is a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to symbolize the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it is going to publicly identify you with your Savior. Jesus came down, and guess what? He was baptized by John the Baptist. What's that about? He didn't have any sin. He's identifying with us through his own baptism, and he is fulfilling scripture that spoke of what the Messiah would be and do. To fulfill all things, Jesus insisted that John the Baptist baptize him. Well, what are we to make of all this? Well, that Christ came down to identify with us. He went through his own baptism so that you and I could be completely forgiven for all of our sins and rise up as new creations, born again, born from above, and headed toward a new direction in Christ and out into our world. It is a tangible way for an individual to express publicly their identif identification with Christ and their casting of their life upon Jesus and the good news. We just sang away in a manger. One of the things I've thought about with that away in the manger, I've struggled with it a little bit because it says in there, and I know Martin Luther is attributed uh, as the hymn writer of that song, and, you know, Luther, man. But listen, no crying he makes? I don't know. I don't know that crying is sinful. But it's certainly natural, it's certainly human, it's certainly baby-like. So we can bounce around, you know, what did you mean by a way in a manger, no crying he makes? But we know for a fact that Jesus did cry in his ministry. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. But maybe the most important cry Mark records later in his gospel, and it is the cry of dereliction from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Why was he forsaken momentarily by the Father? Why did he cry out the cry from the cross? It was because he was bearing our sin and our guilt and our shame so that we could turn away from all of that and cast ourselves on the gospel of forgiveness. Forgiveness. I've got to move on. So, so in the midst of this, Mark wants us to know that there's a picture of the gospel. There's a, there's a picture of forgiveness that was there at the beginning, and it still remains with the church. Now, number four, we have a pleased father. A pleased father. Not just any father, but God the Father. I think if all of us are born with this ingrained desire to be pleasing to our parents... These are very powerful words. Remember Isaiah had prayed that the heavens would open up and that God would come down. Here's an answer to that prayer. Because the heavens open up and a voice and a dove come down from above and God says to Jesus, This, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is a Trinity moment. As the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes down, the Son is... is uh, where am I? Let me find it in verse 11. The Son is being told by the Father as this voice. John the Baptist was a voice. Now we hear the Father's voice coming out of the heavens. Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. The pleasure and favor of the Father was totally upon Christ the whole way. He was absolutely pleasing to his heavenly Father. As a dad, I kind of put it like this. Now, I've thought this about all five of my boys, but why is there something in me that has a hard time saying it? I think I got two here this morning. Guys, I've thought this about you, even though I may not have always said it. All right, here it goes. You ready? This is what God said to Jesus. This is what the Father says to Jesus. I love you so much, and you bring me great joy. I love you so much, and you bring me great joy. Now, i got to clear this up really quickly, because I know I've got more to say. But the same thing God said about his son, he says about you and me in Christ. God says about it, this is the good news, that, that we who have not pleased the Heavenly Father, we who have sinned against God, we've rebelled against God, the glory of the gospel, and I could work this out for you and give you some chapters and verses. But just know that Bryson used the word reconciliation. There it is. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might receive reconciliation with God. It means that God declares about you, sinner that you are, and you continue to fail. You are my beloved child and you bring me great joy. How could he say that? Because he sees me in Jesus who is perfectly pleasing to the Heavenly Father. There is something deep within us that each of us craves this from our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is the way to receive that. So we have a pleased Father. And then let me close by saying this, and a few other things, of course. And i got to cut to the chase. We have a person to follow. 
Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss him. He is the gospel. And man, if I could close with something, look. Verse 17. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And, 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 and immediately, immediately, pronto, they left everything and followed Jesus. All that they were, all that they had, all that they had done, they left the nets and followed Jesus. How should we respond to the gospel? Forsaking all, I trust him. I'm casting my life, my soul, my all on Jesus, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be a disciple of his. Where he goes, I'm going to follow. Where, where, he, where he speaks, I'm going to hear. What he says do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. God is presenting to us the Son of God. This, this gospel culminates, by the way, with a confession by a Roman centurion where watching Jesus die, he confesses. A pagan Gentile. The end of the gospel of Mark. says, truly, this is the Son of God. And in Mark chapter 8, Mark told us what to do. Take up your cross daily. And follow him. Do it now. Do it daily. Do it immediately. Presumption is one of the deadliest sins you and I could ever have in our heart of hearts. So here at the very beginning we have Peter who later becomes the chief source of Mark's good news. And we could talk a lot about his life and his failure. And we have Andrew, his brother, from the very beginning they left everything to follow Jesus. Where was this going to take them? Where is it going to take them? It's going to take them down the road of discipleship. Humility and suffering and failure and all of that. But Mark says immediately, immediately, immediately. In fact, one of the key words in this whole... Mark says immediately 41 times in his gospel... And ten times in this chapter, I could go back, I've circled the word in my Bible in, in chapter 1. Go back and circle them. Immediately, immediately. It's John Madden watching NFL football. Boom, boom, boom. And he's giving you these key events in the life of Jesus so that we will leave our sin and our selfishness and our own rule and we'll submit and surrender fully to Jesus. This is the gospel and it's how we Respond to the gospel. So never underestimate the power of this story to make an impact. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who will believe. Everyone. Now, I'm a God in Bethlehem. I've got the stats from our leaders. Last night... Like Mark's gospel, I kind of sum everything up at the end real quick. And we got some big groups, and I tell the groups, y'all, come on in. There, there's room in this tomb for everybody. And one group had almost 40 people, so I almost didn't make that work. But man, 20, 27 times, 27 times to 364 people. I had the privilege of sharing the greatest news ever, and that is... He is risen. 
He is the Son of God. And I see the faces. Some of the faces I know what they've been through in the last few months. Some of the faces are complete and absolute strangers. I have no idea. But I trust that if we preach the power of the gospel, God will use the gospel to do his work. And I'm reminded of this constantly. I was having lunch on the square with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and this random guy comes up to me. He says, are, are y'all doing your Bethlehem thing again? I said, yes, sir, we're doing it the 9th and 10th. He said, man, he says, I, I can't be there those nights. i got something in my church. But I want you to know, my wife and I have been through so many times, but the first time I ever went through, and it sounded like it was kind of back where we used to have it years ago. He said, when I made that turn and I walked into that tomb, he said, I got goosebumps. He said, I got chill bumps. He said, I'll never forget it. And he said, knowing what was coming later years, I didn't feel, but the, but the, very, the very first time. Then I was talking to a guy last night who was telling me that years ago, he and his son came through. And they loved it. And they came back the next night and brought his wife and daughter. And I was blown away. Because that person last night was the angel at the tomb, Todd Hanley. And I said, man, I, Todd, I never knew that y'all came through before you had ever visited Glenlock. It's like the first thing that they did. And I said, man, you never know. <laughs> you may have a Todd Hanley in your group, and you don't know it. Hebrews says that we need to entertain strangers because some of you have entertained angels unawares. <laughs> and I thought, yep, Todd Hanley was the future angel who was a stranger, and I was not aware, right? I want to drive home the fact that this is, this is the most important news that you can give your heart and mind. And I say it all the time, and I'll close right here. It is crucial to your peace. It is crucial to your joy, all these hope and love. You have got to preach the gospel to yourself first Every day. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though outwardly we waste away, inwardly we can be renewed day by day. What is the source of inner renewal to give me peace and joy and hope and purpose and meaning? That I would first preach the essential gospel to myself, that Jesus loved me so much he died for me, that he lived a life I could never live, that God raised him up on the third day. That is what creates in you and I this new creation on a daily basis that can go out and share the gospel in humility and in boldness and clarity and in love. That's enough. That's, that's only the beginning. There's so much more. Father, today we pray that we too will by faith receive the gift of Christ and the gospel. That we would immediately, immediately, quickly run to Christ. 
rely upon Christ, depend upon Christ. There's so much to experience, like Peter and Andrew, that is ahead, but they kept following Jesus. And through all their stubbornness and hard-headedness and denials and failures, you love them to the uttermost and you love them to the very end. So we pray that we too, likewise, would acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God who came to save us from our sins. And He still lives, and He lives in us. We pray that we would take up our cross daily and, and follow Him. If there's someone here who's never done that, who's never received that by faith, I pray that, Lord, You would move their heart and their soul to immediately, immediately leave everything and follow Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. one night in Bethlehem unless something strange and unforeseen occurs. I don't know, Crystal, if there's anything you want to say other than thank you so much for everybody has a role, and it is important. Every person is crucial. Um, 
the singing before people take the tour in here. I know Kylie and Teresa, um, you know, led led the way in that, and 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 that was that was such a blessing, and 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 that's just only the beginning. So, hey, I want to say, Judy Giles, so good to see you here. We love you so much. Um, I'll stop there. We'll get in trouble. We're recognizing people. Is there anything else we need to tell everyone that I've forgotten? You have a baby? Oh, she needs, she's great with child. She is great with child. Yeah, y'all pray for Catherine. She's still waiting on Wren, right? Uh, we had planned on her being out all of December, but she keeps she keeps coming back. So I'm gonna sing "Go Tell It on the Mountain" this morning. So maybe that'll go tell it. Maybe Amen. that'll be the trick. Let's sing "Go Tell It on the Mountain" together. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you tonight.